Today on Blue 58, the Packers are set at a lot of positions, but as everybody knows, wide receiver is basically wide open. And while it's certainly not great to feel unsettled at a position, especially one as important as receiver, I think there's some upside here, too. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. We've got a lot to cover in this one, so let's start in on it. Uh, we talked about receivers a lot lately, and I had one more thought related to this position position group. Last time around, we, we wondered if it was a good idea or not for the Packers to essentially build their receiver position for 2022 without having one lead dog, essentially. One guy who's going to be their primary undisputed target. And things may still work out for the Packers to have a guy sort of in that mold. Maybe Alan Lazard comes on really strong and he's just your undisputed sort of number one wide receiver for the 2022 season. Or he may end up just being sort of that de facto guy. But I think most people would agree that probably the Packers are going to have some version of basically a committee of wide receivers this year. They've got a lot of a lot of options, if nothing else. And I think any receiver on the Packers right now who would think of themselves as the, in sort of terms like, I'm clearly the guy here, is is probably making a mistake. However, I think in this grand experiment that the Packers are doing, there is a chance that there is some upside here to doing it that way. Just with the way a few things have worked out and with the decisions the Packers have made, They've constructed a position groups a position group where basically everyone in the group has something to prove and has an opportunity to prove it. Let's go guy by guy here. Alan Lazard has some serious things to prove. First, can he be a number one wide receiver for somebody? And if he can prove that he can be a number one wide receiver for somebody, the Packers or someone else, what does he stand to gain? I'll tell you, a lot, a lot of money. Because Alan Lazard is going to be a free agent after this year, unless the Packers and Lazard do some sort of short-term extension here in the short term. Uh, Not necessarily a short-term extension, but uh, give him a contract extension. Um, He's going to make a lot of money if he can have a great 2022 season. He's got every reason in the world to want to have a big year in 2022. The same kind of goes for Sammy Watkins. He himself admitted in a very refreshing burst of honesty from a professional athlete that he thought his career was done and that, you know, basically it hadn't gone the way that he thought it was going to so far. But this year, coming to the Green Bay Packers, he's got an opportunity to, one, kind of restart his career, show people, no, I'm, I'm not done here. I've still got valuable football to, to be played yet. And two, he's got a chance, given that he signed a one-year deal with the Packers, to hit the free agent market again next spring. And if he has a big season, well, you kind of see where we're going from here. It's kind of the the Alan Lazard sort of prognosis. Randall Cobb isn't really looking at a big contract extension, probably at this point in his career, or even another big contract. But he could just be looking at another contract period if he can show that he can still do it. This is probably it for him in Green Bay, depending on, on how things shake out. Um, with Aaron Rodgers and a couple other factors on the roster, just given that there are young guys coming up behind him. But there may be a team out there that says, hey, we like what Randall Cobb did in 2021 or 2022, and we think he can do more of it in 2023. 
that's a few more million dollars in your bank account if you're Randall Cobb, given the guaranteed money that probably comes your way with a free agent deal. He, too, has something to play for in 2022 beyond this season alone. And you've got to believe he would like to end his career if it's going to end after this season with the Super Bowl. Omari Rodgers, one of those guys who's following after Randall Cobb, um, is fighting for a job. I don't really know how, how in danger his roster spot is, but I wouldn't go so far as to call him completely safe. He's got some people to prove wrong. Or... He's got some people to prove right. Um, In the Packers, who traded up for him last year, uh, saying, you know, just kind of saying, hey, you weren't dumb to do that. I am worth having around because last year he really wasn't. And if he can't do that, he might find himself out on the outs in Green Bay. And who knows if somebody takes a chance on him somewhere else in in the NFL. I would think probably somebody does, but it's never a guaranteed thing. Right now, he's got a job, he's got a contract, he should show that that wasn't a mistake. That's got to be a pretty significant incentive. Now, those are the either veterans or guys who carry over from last year. What about some of the newcomers? Well, let's start with Christian Watson. Historically, and just about everybody has pointed this out, rookies do not do particularly well in the NFL as a whole, and with Aaron Rodgers in particular, at receiver. Watson just by virtue of how the um, the roster is right now, has an opportunity to change that. He's going to be on the field. One way or another, he's going to be on the field, and he's probably going to be on the field quite a bit. Sure, Sammy Watkins and Randall Cobb are, are nominally ahead of him on the depth chart right now, but I would say history shows that one or both of those guys is more likely than not not going to make it through the entire 2022 season unscathed. So Watson is probably going to get some playing time here. That's a pretty big opportunity as a rookie, and if he can show early on that he's worth having on the field, that Aaron Rodgers can trust him, he's got an opportunity for a real big role as a rookie. The same is kind of true for Romeo Dobbs, who could very easily, if Christian Watson can't, fill the role of Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Now, I think there's more to his game than just being fast, but the Packers do need and want speed at wide receiver. So if you're going to be a one-trick pony, that's one pretty good trick to have. And there may be a role available for a guy who's just a speedster going deep on third downs. MBS made himself quite a bit of money doing that. Maybe Dobbs can do the same thing. Now, towards the bottom end of the depth chart, you've got guys like Samori Torre, Jawan Winfrey, Malik Taylor. Though we'll see some glowing reports about some of those guys, and they may be very well true um, in training camp and, and leading up to training camp about the work they're putting in, the, the opportunity they have, so on and so forth, to, to do things at wide receiver. All of that may be true. But special teams are really where these guys are going to, to make their, their mark on the 2022 Packers. And there are special teams reps available. The Packers need, in particular, punt coverage guys. And Ture and Winfrey and Taylor, I would have to think, are all going to get opportunities to do that. Taylor and Ture are, are really the, the guys to watch there. But if Winfrey wants a roster spot, he's got to show that he can do that too. The point is, everybody's got something to prove here. Everybody's got something to play for. And I think that benefits the Packers. 
yes, you would prefer to have things be a little bit more settled up and down the depth chart. But if you can't have that, this seems like close to the next best thing. Let's finish off our 2022-2021 season recap and then dive into the first chapter of The Games That Changed the Game, our book club selection for this year. Week 17, the Packers hosted the Minnesota Vikings at home and came out with a win 37-10. This was very much a big brother game after the Packers had a few disappointing outings in a row. Kind of going, okay, enough of this. The Packers basically just took the Vikings to the woodshed and benefited from some things going on in Minnesota. No Kirk Cousins. Dalvin Cook just came back from COVID, uh, kind of swapping spots with Cousins, who uh, found himself on the outs with the with the virus. And the Vikings were basically just cash and checks at that point. They knew that they weren't going anywhere. Mike Zimmer knew that he was on the way out. This is it for us. Let's just get to the end of the year. And the Packers happily obliged. As we talked about a little bit last week, it's, it's kind of weird for the 2021 Packers that they can be this team that puts up 37 points but still not feel dominant. There's a little bit of that in this game, but we're kind of picking nits too. Aaron Rodgers needed 38 attempts to put up 288 yards, but both Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon were good. You hate to say games were decided before things even started, but this one feels like one of those. The Vikings were really reeling and getting hammered by COVID late in the year, basically ended this one. I mean, they were rolling Sean Mannion and Kellen Mond out there at quarterback. It was probably just not going to happen for them. Packers secure the number one seed with the win. The Packers get to end the Mike Zimmer era with a win. And they get to move on to week 18 with nothing to play for. Basically the ideal. In Week 18, the Packers traveled to Detroit to take on the Lions, who are wearing the world's most boring throwbacks. At least figure out something interesting to wear. I know it's tradition. I know they've been wearing those throwbacks for a long time. But, man, got to find something else to do in that department. Maybe wear, like, the early Calvin Johnson-era black-trimmed ones. Those are almost old enough to be throwbacks at this point. Just a thought. 37-30 loss. So what? This game didn't matter. The Packers didn't need to do anything in this game other than set a couple of records. And records. And the Packers did do that, getting Devontae Adams a couple catches and, and enough yards to set some records there. Um, Jordan Love got to play a whole half, and he really helped decide the game for whatever that's worth. Love, though he did throw a touchdown, also threw interceptions on two consecutive drives to end this game. Packers got the ball down four. Jordan Love throws an interception. Packers got the ball again, down seven, after the Lions went down after Love's first pick and kicked a field goal. And Jordan Love throws another interception. Now, looking back on that game, you can quibble over whether or not those interceptions were his fault. I'd say at least one of them wasn't super his fault. Your your interpretation may vary. But I think we can also say, or at least point out, that there now have been three opportunities where Jordan Love has had the chance to give the Packers the lead or tie the game and ended those drives with interceptions. Now, this is not the most fair environment in which to evaluate him, and maybe someday we will get a chance to evaluate him in perfect conditions, but in those imperfect situations, Love has not been great so far, and this is just another one of those imperfect situations where Jordan Love was anything but perfect. In terms of long-term impact, there's really one big thing that came out of this game. 
Marquez Valdez-Scantling hurt his back in a game where he didn't need to be playing. That will come back here in a couple weeks. Small details you may have forgotten. Tim Boyle made an appearance against the Packers in this one. David Bakhtiari did make it back onto the field for 27 snaps. And Josh Myers also returned to the lineup. Now, the divisional round game. First-seeded Packers hosting the San Francisco 49ers in the divisional round of the 2021 NFL playoffs. The wounds are, what, six months old now? Still stings a little bit. Packers, of course, lost 13-10. to But how did it go down? Things started so well. Packers go down and get points on their first drive, and then it slowly, and then very quickly, all fell apart. What do you want to point to in this one? We don't really have to go blow by blow in this game. I think we all know pretty well what what happened. But do you want to point to Aaron Rodgers not playing super great? Do you want to point to their offensive line being a shell of itself? Do you want to point to Matt LaFleur refusing to try to get deep at all, really, throughout this game? Do you want to point to the absolute just dumpster fire that was special teams? I mean, take your pick. I think, really, um, your opinion on this game is going to be most reflected when when you talk about when the game was decided. You can talk about that throw that Aaron Rodgers made on third and eight on the Packers' last drive. You can talk about the block field goal. You can talk about the block punt. For me, I pick Mercedes Lewis fumble on the Packers' second drive. Packers go down and score on their first drive. 7 nothing Packers. Great start. First 49ers drive is a mess. They have a one-yard run. They have a false start. They have a two-yard run. On third and 12, here comes Adarius Smith barreling up the middle, sacking Jimmy Garoppolo. Pretty good so far. Packers take over on their own 25-yard line. Seven-yard pass to Devontae Adams. Aaron Jones rips off a 14-yard run. Aaron Jones catch and run for nine more yards. On on second and one, A.J. Dillon hammers away for three yards. Everything's clicking. Packers are in 49ers territory. And then Mercedes Lewis gets the ball in the flat on first and 10 and fumbles. Looking back, it's like somebody made a mistake. Like this wasn't supposed to happen. What was supposed to happen there was the Packers were supposed to go down and punch in another touchdown. Suddenly it's 14 to nothing. And you could see the 49ers wobbling. People weren't sure how much Jimmy Garoppolo was going to play in this game, if at all. You could see there was some uncertainty in the San Francisco 49ers, even on defense. Their defense that's, that's pretty good overall. 14 to nothing. Does San Francisco fall apart? Is the route on? Are the Packers stampeding to the NFC Championship game? As it turns out, no. The long-term impact of this game? Basically ended a window for, I would say, what you could call the early era Matt LaFleur Packers. Zedarius Smith is gone. Billy Turner is gone. Devontae Adams is gone. Matt LaFleur's internal special teams coach, hand selection. Maurice Drayton, gone. And now the Packers are, if not rebuilding, retooling. Certainly this game cost the Packers a shot at the Super Bowl. The Rams were pretty hot coming in. I don't know if they beat the Rams. They did earlier in the season, but the Rams were a different team by that point. I don't know if you can say for sure one way or another. In fact, I know you can't say for sure, and I know exactly why. Because we'll never know. Because the Packers lost a game that they should have won. Losing in the most 2021 fashion, getting in their own way again and again and again. In terms of details, you may have forgotten about this game. Well, consider the fact that the Packers really only had two receiving options worth throwing to available in this game. MBS is hurt. Randall Cobb was in his first game back from a core muscle injury. Didn't get on the field at all until like the fourth or fifth drive. Only played 30 snaps overall. 
It's kind of like we've been saying for years. The Packers needed wide receiver depth, and they just didn't have any. You know who would have been really nice to have? Odell Beckham Jr. But the Rams could offer a bit more money, and he decided to take it. And now he's got a Super Bowl ring. Billy Turner and Dennis Kelly, your starting tackles. We've belabored that point again and again, but it's worth pointing out again. Whitney Merciless also back on the field for this one. Packers got everybody back. Zedaria Smith, Randall Cobb, Whitney Merciless. And what did it count for? Nothing. And of course, not for nothing in this one, but looking back on my notes from this game, the ink ran out in my favorite note-taking pen. Was that a factor? Hard to say, but uh, can't rule it out. Uh, just as one final you know, twist of the knife here, if you want to be on the Aaron Rodgers didn't play well bandwagon, here's one for you that goes a little bit unnoticed. There is the famous block punt, of course, in this game. But just prior to that block punt, what happened on third and eight? Aaron Rodgers takes a sack. Just terrific stuff. On a more positive note, we've got three individuals I would like to shout out before we get into our discussion of the games that changed the game. I'd like to shout out Wander, Nick McSwain, and Victor Barbosa, each of whom have been supporting us on Patreon for quite a while. If you'd like to join us on Patreon, head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep, contribute any monthly amount, then you'll get any uh, any and all of the benefits that come with that. You'll get a little bit of bonus content. You'll get access to our Discord server where you can hang out with Packers fans from all over the world and talk about whatever it is your heart desires to your heart's content. A lot of good people in there, and we have some great talks um, literally every day. Lots of good stuff going in there all the time. Uh, head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Join us there. I'll give you a shout out and I will invite you into our Discord server and you can hang out with us uh, as much or as little as you would like. It's a great time. I would encourage you to do it. All right. The game that changed the game by Ron Jaworski, this year's book club selection, overall impressions of chapter one. Looking at this book, early impressions, I would say one of the things I enjoy the most is Jaworski's humility, which I don't think he's he's a not humble guy, but he's got a certain amount of confidence that always came through during his time as an ESPN analyst and a Monday night football analyst. A confident guy, but you can see that that confidence is borne out from a few things. First, he was a very solid NFL player. Secondly, he's got a great appreciation for the history of the game, clearly. And thirdly, he clearly loves the game a lot and wants you to love it too. That's a lot to like. And that really comes through in the book. Chapters like this one, talking about the 1963 AFL championship, um, help me articulate why I have a hard time calling most modern players and coaches the greatest of anything. If you're a, a even midterm listener of Blue 58, you know that I hate the constant desire by everybody who covers football to call Tom Brady the, the greatest of all time, because I don't think that's a category that exists. But looking at the modern game as compared to the game that guys like Sid Gilman played or coached, you can see that most football today is just footnotes to guys like Sid Gilman and his contemporaries. One of the things that I enjoy about Bill Belichick is he seems to understand this a lot. He knows that most of what happens in the NFL today is not really innovation in any way. It's just reinterpretations of guys that really did innovate, guys like Sid Gilman. And so many innovators are out of place in their time. I love the quote from Bill Walsh in this chapter, quote, Sid was so far ahead of his time, people couldn't totally understand what he was doing, end quote. Hopefully, um, people have the opportunity to say that about uh, what the current Packers are doing. You know, Matt LaFleur, so far ahead of his time, nobody could figure it out. I don't know if we're ever going to see that in the NFL again, though. 
I don't know if you can get that far ahead of your time anymore. I don't know if there's that much room in the game. Maybe there is, and maybe that's where the innovators are going to come from, the people who understand that there are opportunities like that, but I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical. Interesting notes from this chapter. Love this quote that Sid Gilman understood the geometry of the game. That's something that it's easy to forget about if you're watching on TV at home. So much of football is just about getting to this particular point faster than the other guy. And most of offensive and defensive design is about giving your players opportunities to do that. I am not sure about the anecdote about uh, Sid Gilman inventing the hot read. That may or may not be true. But you can see why it would be necessary if, in the overall scope of his offense, you're releasing your backs and ends uh, into the pattern right away. That's that's important to have a, a quick read um, th- to get the ball out because that's crucial to his offense. Loved the detail that Sid Gilman was all about the details. Uh, Jaworski's nugget about uh, wanting to correct his grip on the football was just so good. And you hear that again and again and again as we talk about the great coaches in the NFL. In terms of the AFL championship in particular, I thought it very interesting that this game was so run-focused given Sid Gilman's reputation as a pass-pass-pass sort of guy. But he also said that he liked to pass to set up the run. And Gilman's quote about that is just music to my ears. Running to set up the pass was backwards then, and it's backwards in 2022. Passing sets up the run way more than running sets up the pass. Establishing the run has been proven schematically and analytically to not really exist. There's some very, very minor uh, benefits towards doing it, but it really doesn't affect how defenses react to your play-action passing. It just doesn't. It, I, I know that it goes against conventional wisdom, but everything shows it. It's not a factor of how often you do it. It's just that you're doing it. And that means that you've got to be throwing play-action stuff, and you've just got to be throwing, and it'll give you opportunities to run. The game in particular, a a fascinating route if there is such a thing. Just a a really good example of how sometimes you can get blown out because of fluky things. And sometimes you can just get blown out because the other team has figured out everything that you're going to do and how to attack it perfectly. Loved Larry Eisenhower's quote from the Boston Patriots. Quote, they weren't passing that much and we were baffled. What's going on here? This wasn't what we had prepared for. I still have visions of all those thunderbolts flying by me, over, around, all over the joint. It was embarrassing, end quote. If you play sports for any amount of time, sooner or later you're going to end up on the receiving end of a game like that. Just too bad for Eisenhower that it happened in the actual championship game. Them's the breaks, that's sports. Some interesting Packers connections in this this chapter. There may be more, uh, but uh, three quarterbacks really jumped out to me. Tobin wrote John Hadle and Babe Perilli. Uh, Rote got the start for the Chargers, uh, Packers quarterback from 1950 to 1956, went 10 of 15 for 173 yards and two touchdowns in this game. John Hadle comes in to relieve Rote in the second half. He had plenty of success under Gilman, probably too much success because that was a big reason the Packers ended up trading for him in probably the worst trade in Packers history. And finally, Babe Perilli lines up for the Patriots. He played for the Packers in 1952, 53, 57, and 58. Interesting stuff. Loved the first chapter. Loved the history. Loved taking a look at a game that I honestly hadn't put all that much um, put all that, that much thought into. Uh, but uh, the in-depth look was very much appreciated. So I've got for you in this episode. I do appreciate you listening in. If you enjoyed it, I would appreciate it even more if you would share it with someone you think would enjoy it too. It's going to help more people find the show, and it's going to get more people involved in this conversation that we are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us 
me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.